Lord Jesus, you are all and you are in all. And we pray that you would be here for all. Speak to us, Lord, through this word of yours that is so good. And we will give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Money is the root of all evil. Now that's a catchy sermon title, isn't it? Well, let's see what we can do with it here today. I, uh, I'm a shopper's nightmare because uh, you could make the case that I hate to shop. For me, a bearable shopping experience is finding a parking spot by the exit drive uh, at the mall, walking briskly to the store, moving directly to the rack or the, sh- or the counter or the shelf that has what it is I want to purchase it, grab it, pay for it, bag it, and get out. There are no conversations. There's no trying things on. There's no wondering if it's the right color for me. Grab it, pay for it, bag it, and get out. It's that simple. Is anybody with me on this? All right. (laughs) Just, Just curious. Well, a, a number of years ago, uh, my, uh, my wife and I were at Nordstrom's with our children. We were in the children's department and standing in line to buy shoes for our children. Uh, and they were in kind of one of those whiny, fussy moods. Uh, they didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be there. <laughs> they were banging into people and, and tugging, and, and no amount of parental control seemed to be able to help the situation. So I, I tried a diversion. Nordstrom's was handing out balloons to every child that was in the uh, store that day, so I grabbed a balloon and walked over to my oldest daughter, rubbed vigorously on the top of her head. It created static electricity. Her hair went all over the place. Balloons stuck to her head. Kids thought that was hilarious. They wanted me to do that to them, which, of course, I did. Well, uh, none of this went unnoticed to the woman who was standing next to us. She uh, was giving those glances from time to time that showed that she was very annoyed uh, with us and tired of being bumped into, even more tired of all the noise we were making. So maybe it was justice or just the current of the wind moving through the store that day when the static electricity transferred from the rear of my children's heads to the back end of this woman. And and the balloons moved simultaneously, fixing themselves uh, to her back end. And she swatted away at them two or three times, but... The tar, the, you know, those balloons, they, they, they zoomed back in on their target. <laughs> well, finally she grabbed them one at a time and handed them to me, and I had to give them to my wife. <laughs> well, as we were debriefing the situation in the car a little bit later, uh, I started to blame it on my wife, you know. If, if she had, if, she hadn't made me go shopping. The evil balloons wouldn't attach themselves to the angry lady, you know. But she didn't buy that at all. <laughs> well, uh, this is the fourth sermon in a series that we're calling the Book of First Opinions. All those opinions, like money is the root of evil, which we think are in the Bible but really aren't. 
And blaming money for all the bad things that happen in the world makes no sense at all. Sort of like blaming your wife for evil balloons or blaming, uh, blaming the stadium or the, the scoreboard at Chicago Stadium for the end of the Seahawks season. You know, it, it makes no sense at all blaming uh, these things because ultimately the blame for bad or for evil lies in us. And that, that line that separates good from evil, it's not in our wallet, it's not in our bank account, it's not in our investment portfolio. It's really in our heart. Uh, so God isn't concerned about how much money we have. What God is concerned about is how much, money our ha- how much our money has of us. Because you see, in God's economy, it's not what we acquire, but what we become that matters the most. And what God wants most for us is to become free. Free from the things that keep us from Him and free to participate with Him in His kingdom building projects here on earth. So, looking at our text this morning, uh, we see that money isn't bad or good, but it can be dangerous. And according to our text, there are three tests that money presents us with. Money tests our loyalty, money tests our character, and money tests our legacy. Now, the passage that we just read from Paul's first letter to, uh, is from Paul's first letter to Timothy. And uh, really, one of the primary purposes in this letter is for Paul to encourage Timothy to stay in the city of Ephesus in order that he could uh, sort of um, uh, confront some of the teachers in that area who were corrupt. These teachers really weren't followers of Jesus, um, but they were teaching about Jesus anyway because they could make a lot of money. Turns out there was a time when teachers got paid well for uh, teaching. But these teachers were not interested in helping people know Jesus. What these teachers were interested in was growing controversies, growing jealousies, rivalries, so that there would be a constant need for their positions as teachers to educate and sort of to help resolve all those issues. It it was job security for them. All these teachers really wanted was to be rich. They, They were interested only in money and more and more of it. They, they weren't interested really in Jesus. So the first test that our, 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 our passage points out when it comes to money is this test of loyalty. Who or to what do we belong? Now according to the Random House Dictionary of Proverbs and Sayings, the phrase money is the root of all evil uh, sort of sprung up about 1000 A.D. in English and it originated in the Bible. But it's changed a lot. Because what the Bible really says is the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. One of the reasons that I like the Bible so much is that it is realistic. It's the most realistic book that I know. And while God has a lot to say in the Bible about money, it turns out God never says that money is a bad thing. Money, uh, because some of us have wealth, uh, we have wealth because we've worked hard. And uh, we've worked hard to provide for ourselves or for our families. And our wealth is a result of, of the hard work. Some of us uh, happen to work in professions where we get paid more than others. And, and so uh, our wealth accumulates uh, for that reason. Financial incentives, uh, like the opportunity to increase profit margins, they ultimately improve free market economies by driving businesses to become more effective, by encouraging creativity, by uh, emphasizing customer uh, 
um, satisfaction and, and product reliability. Money isn't bad. In fact, it turns out there's a lot of good things about money. But what the text we read speaks out about is the text speaks out about the love of money. It's, uh, the issue is really one of attachment. That we become so attached to our money or to our wealth that it ultimately owns us. Because God isn't concerned about how much money we have, but how much our money has of us. Our time, our talent, our devotion, our loyalty. And loyalty is just another name for worship. And we serve what we worship. I know a man very well who spent uh, most of his adult life in the medical profession. He's had a very successful practice. uh, And his main goal, since I've known him, is to be able to accumulate enough wealth where uh, he could travel around the world whenever he wanted to, uh, build a home on a golf course, and retire there, which he has done. His lifestyle has always showed by his success, his, his, the clothes that he wears, the restaurants that he frequents, the, the cars that he drives. Um, but, so by the world's measures, he's a, he's a very successful man. But in his wake, through the years, are broken relationships. A divorce, estranged relationships with his children, which are starting to mend now, and... Uh, and lost friendships, sort of the testimonies to the fact that he has served what he worshipped. Now, long hours at the office and in the hospital are common in the medical field, but he gave more, more of his time, more of his energy, more of his attention, in order that he could have more, more uh, notoriety, more, uh, more reputation, more wealth. But what ended up happening was he became less. Less involved with his wife, less involved with his kids, less committed to his marriage, um, less concerned about the people that were around him. The hardest thing to watch, though, has been his relationship with God. Because when he was younger, he was so committed to the church and to God. But uh, his confidence in God has become replaced by his confidence in his wealth and the pride that he experiences in being able to amass this sort of wealth. He goes to church on occasion because going to church is a vestige of the connection that he once had with God. For him, Jesus and faith have become absolutely uh, irrelevant to him. Now, it's been said that the price of anything is the amount of life that we're willing to pay for it. Money is a great servant, but it's a terrible master. When our treasure owns us, then it keeps us from experiencing the life God created us to experience. And, uh, and, it, and it prevents us uh, from, from being able to uh, uh, really experience the kind of joy and fulfillment that we think is in wealth, but really comes through faith in Jesus. Making money our highest loyalty, it can ruin us morally, relationally, and spiritually. We end up owned by what we own us. The test of loyalty. Now that brings me to our second test, which is the test of character. There is a great irony near the beginning of this particular passage. The false teachers who, um, who played the role of Christians in order to find happiness and fulfillment 
that wealth promises, well, they end up sad and empty. And the true followers of Jesus, those who have given Jesus uh, their highest and greatest loyalty and whose character is being shaped and formed to be like that of Jesus, well, they end up happy and fulfilled in this passage. The outcomes are different because the characters are different. One is corrupt because they value what the world values. One is content because they value what Jesus values. And in the economy of God, it's not what we acquire, but what we become that matters the most. Happiness isn't found in things. That kind of happiness is, is really short-lived, isn't it? But really, happiness is an inside job. It's, it's in here, in our hearts, and, and it's in here, in our minds. It comes when we experience the constant presence and power of Jesus because His character is being shaped within us. Now, another word that describes our experience when Jesus is shaping our character is the word contentment. Contentment, not because of what we have, but because of what we are becoming. Now, uh, you may know that in November, uh, I flew to Sudan with a couple of folks from our church, uh, elders from our global outreach ministry team, uh, Charles Afori and Cindy Briel. And our purpose in going was to sort of uh, check up on the projects that our church has been involved in, to get an update on what's going on, to meet some of the Sudanese who are living in that area. And uh, we're going to share more about that on February 11th at a forum. But... Uh, as we, as we flew in to this small village called Atar, we quickly saw that everything that we had heard about Atar was true. They have nothing. There are no roads. There are no schools. There are no shops or markets. No cars. They have no infrastructure. They have very few resources. Limited food supply. They eat goat and lamb and, and fish and some bean called sorghum that has no nutritional value whatsoever. It just helps you feel full, apparently. I, I couldn't bring myself to try it, frankly. But what they have in the small village of Atar is they have love, and they have joy, and they have devotion, and they have commitment to Jesus Christ. And we saw that the moment our plane landed, as the men and women and children of the village came running out to greet our plane. They refused to let us carry our things and so carried them for us back to uh, the compound where we were going to be staying. We saw that as we met with the village leaders and talked with them about the future of southern Sudan and the critical role that this school will play in the rebuilding effort in that particular area, the school that our church is helping to support. We saw that as we met with adult students and they were sitting in their classrooms learning trying to learn quickly so that in a year or two, they will in turn be the teachers for these elementary-aged children. First time school had been taught in those areas for 20 years. They have nothing. And yet, they have everything. You know, I have seen that principle time and time again as I have traveled to some of the developing countries where our church has missions in progress. People in those places have, have far less than anything we can imagine economically. They are hungry. They have little or no money. They're struggling physically to survive. They have nothing. And yet, they have everything. 
They have joy and they have love and they have commitment and devotion to Jesus Christ. They have everything they need. And you know, they are the wealthiest people that I know. We have things all backwards in our culture. Our culture teaches us that we can't possibly experience success or or happiness and contentment unless we have enough. Enough wealth, enough possessions, with the option of more on the way. Most of us accept the idea that you can't buy happiness. We know that intellectually. But our preoccupation with material security and and sort of financial abundance, it, it gives us away. There are really only two ways to get enough. One of those ways is to accumulate more and more, which doesn't work. The other way is to need less because of what Jesus is doing in here and in here. Happiness is an inside job. Well, money tests our loyalty. Money tests our character. The last test from our text is that money tests our legacy. Paul writes in the last few verses of our passage this morning, uh, as for those who in the present age are rich, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. Now, I like the translation from the message better. It says, tell those rich in the world's wealth to do good, to be rich in helping others to be extravagantly generous. And if they do that, they'll build a treasury that will last, gaining life that is truly life. Now Paul is saying, live forward. Live with eternity in mind. Use your wealth here on earth in ways that will have a heavenly impact. Make heavenly investments with your worldly wealth uh, rather than Uh, uh, making heavenly uh, withdrawals. Uh, He's saying, don't leave it all behind, our wealth, but rather choose to leave a legacy, the, the legacy of building God's kingdom here on earth in ways that will fill heaven with people whose lives have been changed for all eternity because you gave. Now, during our trip in November, we also spent a couple of days in Rwanda where we visited the Center for Champions, which uh, our church is helping to build through the capital campaign, The Ripple Effect. And uh, we got a chance to walk the fields there uh, and to visit with our friends from Africa Evangelist. Uh, evangelistic enterprise they they shared with us kind of their vision they they started to talk with us about the courses that would be taught in the new classrooms they pointed to where those would be and they talked about the number of street children who will be living in the dorms and they pointed out where those will be and then eating in the lodge and they pointed where that will be and then playing in the soccer fields and they pointed where those would be it was really cool it was really cool Well, then a couple of nights later, the next night actually, we took our friends from Africa Evangelistic Enterprise, we took them out to dinner. And as we were sitting there with them, uh, we were entertained by these Rwandan dancers who we found out later, uh, actually found out during dinner, that they also had been street children at one time, but now were given a new chance at life because of a ministry that was supported by Africa Evangelistic Enterprise. Well, uh, one of the things that I've learned in going to Rwanda is that uh, when you go, when, every, when people start dancing, 
everybody starts dancing. So Charles was dancing, and Cindy was dancing, and I was dancing, you know. And <laughs> Dancing's right up there with shopping, okay. <laughs> but I'm in Rwanda, I've got to be, you know, good, you know. So uh, we're dancing. When all the dancing stopped, one of the young girls who'd been dancing got up and shared her testimony with us. And she talked about how she had been a... A street child herself lived on the streets for a few years, but had been forced to turn to a life of prostitution in order to live. But then one day uh, she went to a meeting where a team from this church was hosting a worship service. And the preacher on that particular day uh, invited the street children to come off the street and to give their life to Jesus Christ. She did. And she hasn't been on the street now for two years, which is when she heard the message two years ago. I just praise God for that. She was once lost, but now she's given a second chance in life. She was once a child of the street, but now she knows she's a child of the living God. She was once loved by strange men, but now she knows she is loved by the one, the only one, who can love her enough to die for her and to give her forgiveness. She is saved. She is set free. She has a new chance at life. And you know, praise God. Amen. And you know, we are going to hear that kind of testimony again and again and again through the years. Because of the children like her, who will be given a second chance at the Center for Champions because you gave through the ripple effect. Giving is one of the best things that you and I can do for ourselves because it sets us free from our attachment to wealth and it helps us find the happiness and contentment that wealth promises but only Jesus can bring. Giving also helps us be part of the amazing things God is doing here in Bellevue, or on the east side, or around the world. That is an investment that lasts forever. So where is your wealth testing you this morning? Maybe it's your loyalty to Jesus that's being tested, or maybe it's His character within you. Maybe God is just asking you to release more of what He's given to you, to be rich in helping others. As the message said, extravagantly generous. Don't hoard it or worship it, but build a treasury that lasts. Make earthly expenditures in order to make heavenly investments. We will have all of eternity to enjoy the riches of heaven, but we only have this life to invest in them. Lord Jesus, we want to thank You and to praise You for this Word, for Your Word that that shows us the life that is really life. So, Lord, set us free in order that we can experience more of You, and in order that we can be part of Your kingdom-building work here on earth to enjoy the riches one day in heaven. And we pray this in Your gracious name, Lord. Amen.